0: While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about How the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences, in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry before how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. But not a hair, everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be for those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with grousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will draw, uh, will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it, uh, for it will come on the, all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on a hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple.
1: So uh, welcome, welcome tonight. It's my uh, privilege to be leading us through uh, chapter 21 of Luke. Um, I'm only newly returned to the staff here at Trinity, so I'd like to especially thank Jeff for giving me uh, this passage as a light and easy passage as an introduction back to preaching here at Trinity. So thank you, Jeff. Um, Luke 21 Our passage this evening is one that often promotes lively debates, uh, theories about when Jesus might come back and the circumstances that he might come back in. But I was reminded a few weeks ago that uh, what Jesus says here is not there to prompt us to have esoteric discussions about the future. It's here, Jesus' teachings are here, to give us practical and concrete and meaningful guidance for living in the here and now. And I was reminded of this by a Ukrainian friend of mine, a Ukrainian Christian friend of mine, who I know from my years living in East Asia. Now, she's been back in Ukraine for some years now, and sadly, her apartment has recently been destroyed in the war there. Uh, She fled her city on evacuation trains and is now trying to work out what to do next. But in the midst of all of that, she received a prayer request from another Christian in the midst of the very worst of the war in Ukraine, in a city called Mariupol. So my friend took that message that she received and translated it into English to pass on to others, others of us around the world so that we could pray. Let me read that message to you from a Christian brother in the midst of war in Ukraine. My family and I are in the church on the left bank of the river. By the grace of God, we are alive. The city is simply wiped off the face of the earth. It is destroyed. There is no electricity. All the wires are on the ground. There is no gas. The gas pipeline is blown up. People go out and prepare food on stones. There is no water. There is no gas line. We have a well in the church, salt water, and we drink salty tea. Thanks to the Lord, at least something. People on the streets are hungry. Shops are destroyed and looted. Grenades, cannons, aircraft, bombs just fall around a few metres away from the church. God controls these metres, and our windows only fly out, but we are alive. Now the generators are turned on and we have charged the phones and the network has appeared all the time and I write fast until it disappears. Pray for us. We wanted to leave with my family when there was a green corridor. The car immediately broke down. The Lord did not allow us to go far. I trust the Lord that he will make a way for us. Even if the war ends, people have nowhere to live whole entrances are burned out there are holes through and through in the houses everything is ruined schools are ruined and then he quotes a part of the passage that we've just had read from us read read for us tonight he says it is written in the bible see that you are not alarmed but the end is not yet but it's very scary The corpses lie on the streets. They don't have time to collect them. Or maybe they don't collect them. It's very challenging. Pray. Lots of looters. By the grace of God, people feed us twice in the church. Yesterday, I washed the children for the first time. You can get water from the sea, but there is nothing to heat it. People cook food on generators. They save on everything. Pray for us. May the Lord give wisdom to the governors and they will agree. We don't know how to continue to live. The Lord is with us. He is mighty. So the passage that we've just had read to us was the one that was on the mind of this Christian brother in the midst of what for most of us is unimaginable horror. He's not in a situation to be reflecting on esoteric ideas about the future. He is grasping for practical and real help in the here and now. And this passage was the one that was on his mind. Luke 21 contains concrete and practical words from the Lord Jesus for our lives now. Let me just take a moment to pray for our Christian brother in Ukraine. And I'll also pray for us as we reflect on this scripture. Let me pray. Father, please keep this man and his family and all of the church in Mariupol safe. May your words comfort them and your power give them hope. Please bring peace back to Ukraine. And we pray that you would give us all here tonight open hearts and minds to hear how this section of your word speaks to people in the midst of terrifying situations and how it speaks to us here too we pray this in jesus name amen well we find jesus and his disciples tonight at the temple in jerusalem in around 33 a.d shortly before he went to his death on the cross Now, the temple was the very heart of Jewish spiritual life. Generations beforehand, God had promised the Israelite people that this temple would be his dwelling place among them. And the teachers of the law at the time would have been regularly reminding Jewish people that this building, this temple, was the centrepiece to God fulfilling his covenantal promise that Israel would one day again be a great and powerful nation. Free from the oppressors of Rome, free from all oppressors. And so it was a building that the Jewish people were very willing to invest in. In fact, at the time Jesus and his disciples visited, the temple was in the midst of a very big site development, one that wouldn't be completed for another 30 years. So people would come and dedicate their gifts to God for rebuilding the temple. As we read, the rich would bring big and impressive gifts and the poor would give sacrificially. In chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus' disciples were remarking how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Though not yet finished, the temple was a place of beauty, of grandeur, it was steeped in history, and it pulsated with the Jewish people's plans and hopes for a better future. And it was in that context that Jesus says something shocking. Jesus says this is all going to be destroyed. Verse 6. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. What? Asked the disciples. This impressive building that seems so strong and unshakable, this institution that symbolises our hope for the future, this is going to be destroyed? This is shocking. It's incomprehensible really. This is a September 11 twin towers kind of moment that Jesus is predicting here. So after what I imagine must have been some moments of silent mouth open processing of this new information, the disciples ask the obvious question verse 7 teacher when will these things happen and what, what will be the sign that they're about to take place and in response to that question we see Jesus going into full prophet mode Jesus is lord Jesus is king Jesus is also prophet and Jesus' response here in t- chapter 21 is Jesus communicating just like an Old Testament prophet might. And by that I don't just mean some of the apocalyptic language that Jesus uses. We'll come to that later. But Jesus also answers the question about when the, disciple is go- when the, the temple <laughs> is going to be destroyed. He answers that by merging it together with another shocking event that the disciples hadn't even thought of. In verses 20 to 24, Jesus primarily seems to be talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which we now know happened uh, about 40 years later in 70 AD. But in verses 25 to 28, Jesus seems to be speaking about another event altogether, that is his return and the end of all creation, which, as we know, still some 2,000 years later still hasn't happened yet nope hasn't happened yet so Jesus is talking about these two events with these two time frames but in verse 32 Jesus says that all these things will happen within a generation verse 32 truly I tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened now this can be a bit confusing That is, until we become comfortable with the idea of Jesus as a prophet, and comfortable with Jesus using some fairly standard methods of prophetic communication. Merging two or more events into one prophecy is pretty standard Old Testament prophetic practice. This is how God communicated through Old Testament prophets all the time. Take the prophet Nathan, for example, about a thousand years before Jesus. In 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan told King David, king of Israel, that one of his offspring would build the first temple and that this offspring would also be a king over God's kingdom forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13. It's on the screen there. When this is uh, God speaking through Nathan to King David. when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." And now we know that David's son Solomon did indeed build the very first temple where God would dwell among the people of Israel. And Solomon did indeed go on to build a very powerful kingdom. But Solomon wasn't a king forever. Solomon died and both the kingdom and the temple that he built were ultimately destroyed and crumbled in uh, 587 BC when the Babylonians invaded. It was actually Jesus himself, a much later descendant of King David, who would ultimately become king over an eternal kingdom. And when Jesus He did that through his death and resurrection. He became king over an eternal kingdom. And when Jesus uh, rose from the dead and then sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit replaces the temple as a place where God dwells among his people. So Nathan's prophecy was definitely about King Solomon and the temple he built in around 1000 BC. But it was also, and even more so, a prophecy about King Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit in the first century AD. This is standard biblical prophecy practice. Two events, two time frames being spoken about together almost as though they are one. And part of what God shows us in using prophecy this way is that there is a pattern that repeats in the way God works in his world. And that's just what Jesus is showing us here in Luke chapter 21. The prophet Jesus is talking about both the destruction of the temple that would happen in 70 AD and at the end of creation, he's talking about also the end of creation when he himself will come back and return on clouds and call everyone to judgment. Jesus is prophesying about both events. And it's not always possible or even necessary to neatly and completely parse apart these two events that Jesus is talking about. So when Jesus says in verse 32 that this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened, it seems to me that Jesus is probably using the term generation in two different ways at the same time. He's using generation both literally and more metaphorically. Because Jesus here is referring to the generation of his time who would live to see the destruction of the temple 40 years later in 70 AD, and Jesus is also using the term generation in a more metaphoric way. Perhaps he's referring to the times of the Gentiles, which is a term that Jesus uses in verse 24, which I think the time of the Gentiles is probably referring to the period between Jesus' incarnation and Jesus' ultimate return, whenever that would be. So we are still living in the generation of the Gentiles, if you like. And it's in this generation at some point that Jesus says, he will come back. Two events, two timeframes, two uses of the word generation. Now, there has been a lot of ink spilled by Christian thinkers over the years about precisely what generation means here, with a whole range of different interpretations, different perspectives. But in the context of the way there are two events, that the two events are brought together in the one prophecy, I think what I've said makes the most sense of what we have here in the passage. But it actually doesn't matter precisely what you think about verse 32 because what is clear is that there are two separate events with two separate timelines for fulfilment. Two events that echo each other with the one helping us to understand the other. This is one of the echoing patterns that God has used throughout biblical history to help us understand who he is, how he operates and how uh, we can respond to him. We can take that slide down, we'll come back to it later. As Jesus is saying, there's judgment coming on the people of Israel with the destruction of the temple, which would happen within about 40 years of Jesus speaking. And there is judgment coming on all people at the end of creation when Jesus returns. Now Luke has intentionally recorded Jesus' answer in this way, putting those two things together. And so we don't need to get too caught up in trying to separate them back out from each other. And what Jesus has done here with his prophetic answer to the disciples He's made it very concrete and relevant for us today because if Jesus had only spoken about the destruction of the temple, well, we could go, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. That's how Jesus wanted the disciples to live while they waited for the temple to be destroyed in 70 AD. But because Jesus is also talking about his return and the end of creation, then Jesus' words here are also directly relevant to us as we wait for his return. And Jesus gives some important prophetic warnings for us. He says, there will be false prophets. There will be wars and natural disasters. And there will be persecution. These are the things that we can expect while we wait for Jesus to come back. So let's look at each of those warnings one at a time. First, Jesus warns that there will be false prophets. Verse 8. He replied, Jesus replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. So Jesus is starting his answer to the disciples about when all these things are going to happen by saying, actually, no one knows, no one can know, no one will know before it happens. So if anyone says to you that they are Jesus-returned, or that they have some secret knowledge so that they know in advance when the uh, temple is going to be destroyed, then, says Jesus, they are deceiving you. They're probably deceiving themselves, so don't be taken in by them. There won't be any advance warning. But when the time does come, there won't be any doubt about it. It will be blatantly clear, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. Don't worry about trying to read between the lines of geopolitics beforehand. Don't listen to anyone who thinks they can tell you beforehand what's going to happen because when it is time, it will be obvious to you. There will be armies surrounding the city you'll know then, get out then. And that's just what happened 40 years later. In 70 AD, when Emperor Vespasian's army, uh, under the leadership of General Titus, marched on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. But because of Jesus' warning here, many Christians in Jerusalem fled to the seaside town of Pella, And so many of them saved their lives by listening to Jesus' prophecy. But for the people who remained in Jerusalem, it was as bad as Jesus warned. You can bring that slide up now. First century Jewish historian uh, Josephus recorded the destruction of the temple. He wrote, One would have thought that the hill itself on which the temple stood was seething hot, as full of fire on every part of it that the blood was larger in quantity than the fire, and those that were slain in more number than those that slew them. For the ground did nowhere appear visible for the dead bodies that lay on it." Just awful. And Jesus' warning to us, waiting for the destruction of the world and God's judgment that's coming when Jesus returns, is the same as it was to the disciples who were waiting for the destruction of the temple. Don't waste time and energy trying to interpret world events in order to guess when Jesus is going to come back. Don't listen to anyone who tells you they've figured it out beforehand, because for one, you just can't know, and two, when it does happen, there'll be no doubt about it. In verses 25 to 26, Jesus tells us that his return, he tells us about his return there, and he tells us that it's going to be apocalyptic. There will be apocalyptic universe-wide upheaval and universal terror. Jesus says, the sun, the moon, the stars will show signs, planets will be shaken, the seas will be roaring and tossing, nations will be in anguish and people will be fainting with terror. And verse 27, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great Glory. We don't need to know beforehand when Jesus is coming back because when it happens, there will be universal understanding that this is it. Even the most hardened conspiracy theorists will get out their phones and tweet, uh, no, this, this is really happening, folks. Hashtag judgment day is here. If you're someone who hasn't taken Jesus seriously before, perhaps it's worth reflecting on the fact that Jesus was proven right right by history about about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And if Jesus was right about that, then there's a good chance he's right about this too. So maybe Jesus is worth listening to. If you'd like to find out more about Jesus then find that uh, QR code on the leaflet that you were given on your way in, scan that, and let us know that you'd like to know more about Jesus and about Christianity, and we'll be in touch with you. We'd love to answer your questions. So Jesus' prophecy, first of all, warns us that there will be false prophets and not to get distracted by them or worry about the timing of his return in advance. And second, Jesus also warns us that in the meantime, There will be wars and natural disasters, verse 9. And this is the uh, verse that our Christian brother in Ukraine quoted, verse 9. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. First century Christians worried about tension with Rome and leprosy that was spreading at the time. Europeans of the 14th century worried about the Hundred Years' War between France and England and the pandemic of the Black Death. People of the early 20th century worried about the First and the Second World War and the Spanish Flu Pandemic. And I just can't think what we might be worried about today. Maybe COVID. Maybe the floods on the East Coast. Maybe tensions between US and China. Maybe war in Ukraine. Maybe that war will spiral out of control and become a global conflict. And There's nuclear weapons now too. So this is truly frightening stuff. Jesus is right. These things have always happened and they will always happen. They will always be with us right through until his return. And as I've said, these events don't tell us anything other than the fact that we're living in the reality of a broken and sinful world. For Jesus' disciples in 33 AD, these awful things would be happening in some way right up until the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And for us, these terrifying and awful things will keep happening right up until he returns, whenever that is. And Jesus' words to us in these circumstances is, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. Don't be frightened. These are frightening things, but don't be frightened. Not only that, there will be persecution of Christians too. Jesus' third warning, in verses twelve to fifteen, Jesus makes clear that there will be persecution of Christians, and we only need to look to the book of Acts to see the trials that the Christian that Christians at the time faced before the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. And we know that there has been persecution of Christians right down through the ages, in various times, at various ways. And we know that there are Christians being persecuted around the world as we speak. For example, in the country that Tab and I have been living in for nine of the last 12 years in East Asia... Many churches and many Christians there are concerned about a government conference, a religious affairs conference that was held toward the end of last year in which the president of that nation flagged a further tightening of religious practices. And many Christians fear that there might be some harsh consequences as a result of these tightenings, including maybe being brought before authorities to answer for their actions. But similarly, Jesus urges them and us not to be anxious about persecution. Verse 14. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at speaking on my feet if there's persecution coming my way, if I'm going to have to argue my defence, I'm going to feel like I want to do some prep work for that. Now, I don't think Jesus, though, is spruiking the value of ad lib. Jesus' driving point here is don't be anxious beforehand. Jesus is being a loving pastor here. You see, there is a theme in everything that Jesus has been saying. Don't worry beforehand about the timing of when Jesus is coming back. Don't be frightened by wars and revolutions and natural disasters and plagues. These things must come. Don't be anxious about persecution. Don't start worrying about how you're going to respond to it. I think it's important to get Jesus' tone right here. The tone of don't be frightened is not a condescending one. It's not, don't be silly, you worry warts. And it's not angry. It's not, get over it, you wimps. It's actually, these wars, these natural disasters, these plagues, these are really scary things. But you know what? Don't be frightened. Because verse 9 These things must happen, meaning God is in control even if everything around you is terrifying. These things are part of the plan. And in persecution, Jesus is promising to be right there with us. We might feel alone and powerless, but Jesus will be there with us giving us the words. And I think this is the message our Christian brother in Ukraine is hearing in Jesus' words here. He's hearing in Jesus' words encouragement and comfort. That's why they're on his mind in the midst of truly scary, terrifying things around him. And that's the message that we can take from Jesus too. Are you scared of what's happening in the world? Are you worried about what might happen In the world. The next variant of COVID could be more deadly than anything we've seen yet. The war in Ukraine could spiral out of control and become a global conflict like we've never seen before. Are you worried about what might be happening in our society and in our culture here? Are you worried that our freedoms might become restricted? that we might be called to account for our faith and have to give an answer for it. Don't be frightened, Jesus says. I'm in control. I'm with you. I've got the words. Verse 34. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap don't let the terrifying things overwhelm you or distract you from Jesus. Otherwise, you won't be ready when he comes back. Rather, Jesus wants us to, in the face of these terrifying things, to stand firm, to stand up, so that we will stand before the Son of Man when he returns. In verse 19, Jesus says, stand firm and you will win life. In verse 28, Jesus says that when he returns on the clouds, he wants you to stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And to sum it up, Jesus says in verse 36, Be always on the watch and pray that you may may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be always on the watch, not in the sense of trying to work out when Jesus is going to come back, but rather watch out that the anxieties of life don't distract you. Pray that you may escape what is about to happen, not in the sense of avoiding wars and natural disasters and the persecutions that will happen, but rather pray that you will avoid the judgment that comes when Jesus returns. Just like those who listened to Jesus' warning and avoided the awful judgment on the temple in 70 AD, listen to Jesus and stand firm in faith in him so that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man when he returns. Let me pray. Father, by your Spirit, enable us not to be overwhelmed by the fearful things that are happening in this world rather enable us to stand firm in Jesus, to focus on the redemption that we have in Jesus, trusting in your might and in your powerful promises so that we can stand before the Son of Man without fear when he returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.